evidence and answers. recognize that we are living in the last days as described in scripture the lingering question that remains is what are we supposed to do are we living with our eyes and hearts open to god's leading or are we slowly being conditioned by the world around us you're tuned evidence and answers with your host pat zucran pat is an author teacher and international speaker in the arena of christian apologetics the defense of the christian faith today on evidence and answers pat will be interviewing mark hitchcock and discussing the days that we live in what is this coming apostasy and what can we do if you're unable to hear this entire broadcast all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Here's Pat now as he interviews Mark Hitchcock in part two of this message. You know, we have to remember that most people didn't have a Bible of their own, and most people, if they had, uh, you know, had a copy of the Bible for themselves, they didn't know how to read. So, yeah. you know, you're pretty much just dependent on what somebody told you. And uh, when the printing press came along with Gutenberg and others and, um, you know, the 14th, 15th century, you know, the Bible began to be uh, printed and more widely distributed. Literacy rates began to go up. That's when you see this great surge in, you know, futurism, a great surge even in, in premillennialism, people believing that, you know, these prophecies are literal, that Jesus is going to come back and literally reign for a thousand years. And so, you know, a lot of that was just the fact that, you know, People didn't have a Bible and they couldn't read. You're, you're just kind of dependent. I mean, that's why we call it the Dark Ages. There wasn't a lot of a lot of uh, enlightenment during that time spiritually either. Yeah. Now, Mark, for those of us who take a literal view of Revelation, I I think I heard you say on stage once that uh, we're seeing a lot of these things as futurists interpret it coming to pass in world events coming around, not necessarily being fulfilled, but setting the stage. Right. what we're seeing in Revelation. What are some of those signs? Well, first of all, you know, the one that people point to all the time is uh, the restoration, the regathering of the Jewish people to their land. You know, 1948, I mean, it started back in the 1870s, but in 1948, May the 14th, we have the rebirth of the modern state of Israel. And, you know, that, that's really, that's a miracle. I mean, in many ways, it's called the miracle on the Mediterranean. I mean, you've got all of a sudden, you know, the rebirth of these, this nation, you know, people have been gone from their homeland for 2,000 years. Their language had died. It was basically revived in the late 1800s. There they are back in the land. There's 6 million Jews living in the land of Israel today. Um, almost, you know, about 40% of the Jews worldwide now live in the land of Israel. And the reason that's important is so many of the prophecies in the Bible really hinge on the Jewish people being back in their land. You know, for instance, uh, another another sign or another kind of a, a setting of the stage is the prophecy of Gog and Magog in, Revela in, in uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39 that speaks of what I believe is a Russian Islamic invasion of the land of Israel. Israel in the end times. And obviously, the land of Israel can't be invaded. The Jewish people can't be invaded there in the land if they don't live in the land. So there's a lot of these kinds of prophecies that have to be uh, fulfilled, uh, that, that really hinge on the fact that the Jewish people are back in their land. Um, you know, the Jewish people there in the land of Israel are going to look up on their Messiah when he's returning. Uh, they're going to flee to the mountains, you know, during the tribulation period. Uh, they're going to enter into a treaty with the Antichrist that grants them some type of, of, of peace there in their land. So none of that stuff can happen if you don't have Jewish people in the land. So that uh, that's the number one sign. We call that the kind of the super sign of the end times. Um, you know, a couple of other things that we see that are kind of setting the stage, I think, today. One would be uh, globalism. 
I mean, it, you know, it's amazing. You look at our world today. I mean, it's incredible when we, we see how the world has shrunk, even in my lifetime. You know, economically, I mean, you know, you have problems in some small country in the world that affects the, the global markets. Uh, we see the world, uh, you know, together really uh, small politically. You know, what one person does in one country affects everyone else. So th- there's a globalism that really fits what we see in Revelation 13, where in the end times, one man is going to rule the world politically, economically, and uh, religiously. And you know, we see today how that could happen. So we're, we've kind of come back to the Tower of Babel almost, you know, back to what was what was present back in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. Um, I mentioned Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, I think that's a, an incredible prophecy of a Russian Islamic invasion of Israel. Of course, you know, who's in the news now every day? Yeah. I mean, it's Russia. I mean, it's like you can't turn on the TV, at least in America, and, uh, you know, not see see Russia there. So, and, you know, Iran is mentioned in that passage, ancient Persia. So a lot of setting of the stage of these events. Now, we don't know how much longer the stage setting will last, um, but there are a lot of things happening that lead me to believe Christ's coming could be very soon. Yes, you know, and also, you know, what we're seeing in the Middle East with the rise of Islam and the nations, we have become aware of now that they do not acknowledge the right for Israel to exist. And as the former president of Iran said, you know, his goal was to uh, see Israel decimated and pushed out into the Mediterranean. Right. So, and those countries have been supported by the Russians. Right. Yeah, so that's quite significant. No, they are. No, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, we see, you know, Russia is, uh, you know, the bear is back. You know, we might say it like that. I mean, the old Russian bear has come out of hibernation and is really, you know, aggressively increasing its footprint in the Middle East. And, of course, in Syria, with Iran, with Turkey. I mean, it's interesting. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, you really have, I think, the nations, you know, Russia's mentioned there, some of the Central Asian nations that used to be part of the old Soviet Union. Uh, You've got Iran mentioned, Persia. You have uh, several nations mentioned there that are in modern-day Turkey. You know, these are the nations today that we see forming alliances with one another. And uh, it's not difficult to imagine at some point these nations around Israel deciding once and for all to get rid of the Jewish people and come in there and to wipe them out. And Russia is going to be part of it. We don't know what will encourage them to join it. But somehow God said he's going to put hooks in their jaws and bring them forth. And so, yeah, we see these things happening. And by the way, too, another thing is, you know, the Bible tells us uh, in, in Daniel uh, 9.27 that really the event that starts the seven-year tribulation period, this coming time of great tribulation, the event that starts that or begins it is a treaty that this coming world ruler, the Antichrist, is going to make with the nation of Israel. And uh, if there's one thing that people want in our world today, it's peace over there in the Middle East with Israel. So we see how some powerful person could come on the scene, and if they could broker and kind of forge some kind of a peace agreement there in the Middle East, man, they'd be, you know, Times Man of the Year and, you know, probably win the Nobel Peace Prize and everything. So, again, we just see a lot of these things happening, and none of these things are being fulfilled. But we see these things in the process of happening, and it's kind of like stage setting or a build-up to these things. And, you know, again, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to see this. And I think just a lot of secular people out there that don't even know anything about the Bible kind of have this sense that our world is getting near closing time. Yeah, you mentioned that in several of your books that the major world religions and and other ideologies view that there is some kind of apocalyptic end to human right. civilization. 
Well, and you just even think about uh, about movies nowadays and oh, TV right. shows. Yeah. I mean, it's just there there's so many of these that are all about the apocalypse, you know, this post-apocalyptic world. I mean, they just they just keep coming out. I think there's a, a couple of, of new ones now that are out there. So, you know, people just kind of have this sense. And, of course, it's entertainment for people. But, you know, you didn't used to have those kind of things. You know, life was kind of happy and a lot of movies like that. Now they're very dark and kind of this dystopic view of life, you know, a jaded view of kind of the apocalypse so it's interesting you know it's a it's an interesting phenomenon that even you know it seems like that the world recognizes yes you're listening to evidence and answers and we're talking with one of the top experts in eschatology or end times theology or bible prophecy dr mark hitchcock a prolific author and an adjunct faculty member at dallas theological seminary now mark one of the other signs you talk about in your new book here is the apostasy that is coming, coming from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, that says, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. What is this falling away or this rebellion, this apostasy you talk about? Well, I think, you know, the word that's used there has the idea, again, of a departure or a defection. And um, actually, it's interesting. Some people take that to actually be the rapture, you know, the departure, <laughs> you know, the, the departure of the church. I mean, if that view, if, if that's correct, then you know, that would be a slam dunk argument for the pre-trib rapture, you know, that the day of the Lord can't come until the departure comes. But I take the departure there and the abandonment, this apostasy to be a departure from, from the truth, from an abandonment, a defection. Uh, from the from the truth of Scripture, from the truth of God, and so, you know, there's there's always been apostasy. You know, that's what the word means to defect or depart or to abandon. There's always been apostasy. There was apostasy in the early church, but what it says there, it calls it the apostasy. And so he says that day, the day of the Lord, that is the tribulation period, won't come until the apostasy comes and the man of lawlessness is revealed. So you have kind of the rebellion that's going to come, and then the rebel. Uh, the man. So you have a uh, an event, the apostasy, and a person, uh, the Antichrist, that are both uh, going to come on the scene. And so what I believe is, is that as we get nearer to the end times, and as the end times then kind of break upon the world, there's just going to be a mass defection and a departure and abandonment from the truth. And again, we're not there yet in the great apostasy. But again, what I would say today is the stage is being set. And uh, we certainly see kind of uh, what I would call we're on the leading edge of that, really, and what we see today really happening in in churches, uh, denominations um, all over the world. And uh, again, it shouldn't surprise us because the Bible told us it's coming. It does sadden us, though, to see what's happening. Yeah, Mark, you state there are two things undermining the authority of Scripture, uh, liberals who deny the essential biblical doctrines and experience. Now, Mm -hmm. explain those two for us. Well, yeah, you've got, you have liberalism, and what liberals basically come in and do is, you know, the old saying is, you know, they take uh, the Bible away from us. You know, they kind of take the Bible away from us, because liberals will say the Bible's not true. You know, it's 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 irrelevant for today, and you can just kind of read it and kind of, you know, it's like any other kind of advice that we can get. So the liberals basically come and take the Bible away from us. They, they don't believe in the inerrancy of the Bible, certainly. They don't believe it's inspired. But then you have experience today, people that are just just totally focused on experientialism, and they are coming and taking us away from the Bible. You know, not taking the Bible away from us, but they're taking us away from the Bible.
able to focus on uh, completely upon experience and signs, you know, wonders, all these various things that take place. And certainly there is experience in our relationship with the Lord. I'm not denying that or, you know, denigrating that in any way. We all have an experiential relationship, those of us who know Christ uh, with Him. But when you make experience, though, the guide and you make experience um, kind of the barometer for the Christian life, then you've run into trouble. Because then we no longer kind of have a, what I call a plumb line or you know an objective standard to measure the experience by. So both of those things are happening, and I think they're both dangerous. The liberals are taking the Bible away from us. You know, the experiential folks are taking us away from the Bible, and both of those are, are, are dangerous in our time. Yes, let's look at that second one again, uh, experience. You know, there are some who will focus on visions and dreams, and, and they're you know, personal experience that really overshadows the truth of, you know, what Scripture teaches. But how should we measure our experience that we receive, whether how compelling it may be? Well, again, we have to do it from the Bible. You have to measure it by the Bible. It's kind of like, you know, the the whole phenomenon out there of people claiming to, you know, be dead and go to heaven, you know, and all of that and various things. And we have to measure these things by Scripture. Uh, because, again, you know, a lot of people will just tell me about some experience they had, but, you know, I don't know whether they had the experience or not, you know, really. I mean— you know, I have no idea if they had it. People can tell me that. But again, the only way I know whether they had it or if they did have it, whether it really fits in with the Bible or not, is does it really match up to the plumb line? Again, that I love that image of the Bible. You know, when you're building a building or building a wall or, or you, know, you hang a plumb line down there, you know, it's straight and it becomes the standard that you measure everything by. And, uh, you know, that's what we have to do. I mean, Paul, you remember, he even... Uh, in uh, the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 17, he applauded the Bereans there, the, the Christians at Berea, and he said, you know, the noble Bereans, he said, they searched the scriptures to see if these things were so. And I love that because they were even checking up on Paul, you know, to make sure what Paul said was right. And uh, Paul applauded that and commended that. So uh, we certainly want to be uh, Bereans today as well and uh, search the scriptures and, and measure everything uh, according to the Bible in our lives. Yes. Now, now, Mark, why is that experiential movement growing so quickly and becoming such a dominant thing in the church in the West? Well, I think, you know, people, you know, I think people today, their lives are a lot, there's a lot of chaos and turmoil in people's lives. You know, not that there hasn't always been, but I just think, you know, with uh, the, the, the destruction of the family that we've seen, there's a lot of chaos and confusion out there just about all kinds of things. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, again, if you, if, if someone is getting up on a Sunday and says, you know, turn in your Bible to the book of John, let's study this certain passage, and there's someone else in another church, you know, across the street, the guy gets up and says, man, I had a dream last night, and here's what God told me. There's a lot of people that will say, well, I'd like to go hear what the guy that just heard from God last night has to say, you know, rather than the guy that is going to tell me what God said 2,000 years ago. So I think there's just a something within human nature. You know, we like to have, you know, what's new and fresh and something that's exciting and all of that. But, but it, it's sad because the Bible is living and active. You know, the Bible is, is fresh and exciting as well. Yeah. Um, you, know, you read the Bible. I mean, you, you pick up the Bible and read words written, you know, 2,000 years ago, or in some cases in the Old Testament, you know, we're reading things that were written, uh, you know, 3,000 years ago. And uh, yet we read it and it's fresh and it's real and it, it touches our hearts and our lives and it finds us where we are. Yeah. 
people love to hear about experiences. And again, we all do have experiences with the Bible, with Scripture, um, how God teaches us and ministers to us and takes care of us in our lives that we want to share. But we don't want to go to those experiences and measure the Bible by them. We want to measure the experiences from the Bible. Yeah. Now, Mark, there have always been apostates and apostate movements in church history. Sure. What, what makes the apostasy we're seeing now different? Well, I, you know, again, I've not lived in other times in history. I think we always have to be careful because there's always the danger for all of us to accentuate the the time we live in, you know, above over any other time for what's happening. Because, again, it's the only time we've lived. But I think a couple of things that make apostasy today uh, more rampant is, one, just the technology that's out there. I mean, you, you know, you think, uh, you know, right now you and I are talking on, on the phone, you know, and, and uh, we're far away. And this this broadcast, you know, this message we're giving will be taken to a lot of places. So what we have today with technology is a wonderful vehicle to get out the truth. But it's also a vehicle for the enemy to come and undermine the truth and disseminate his error. So it's a double-edged sword. And so many, many people today are being influenced by false teaching that never would have heard it in the past and never been influenced by it. So I think that's one one of the issues. Um, I also believe that you know Satan doesn't know when the Lord's coming back. That's not been revealed to him nor to any of us. But I do think that Satan also, I mean, he, he, he can look at the signs of the times better than we can. I certainly think he knows that, uh, you know, we may be on the home stretch of this church age. And so, you know, it seems to me that there's an acceleration of satanic deception that's taking place in our world today. I mean, some of the things that have just happened in the last 20 years in our culture, I mean, they're, they're stunning to me. Yeah, and the, 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 rapid, the rapidity yeah. with which they happen. I mean, there has to be something supernatural behind it. Yeah, talk about some of those uh, ideologies that you feel that you've seen invade the culture and inside the church. Well, you know, one of them, and this is always an easy one to pick on, I know, and some people might, you know, just, you know, not like us doing that, but, you know, same-sex marriage. I mean, you know, we have doctrinal apostasy. That is one thing where people move away from the scriptures, uh, they deny the inspiration, the inerrancy of the Bible, and all of that. So there's doctrinal apostasy, but there's also moral apostasy. There's a moral a landslide morally away from and defecting from the truth. And I'm going to be 58 years old here in a few months, and my entire life growing up, you know, there was never any issue with the worst sinners that I ever knew about whether same-sex relationships were wrong. Everybody believed that. I mean, I didn't know anyone who didn't believe that. And we went from there to really in the last 20 years to now, if you say that those relationships are wrong, you're considered a pariah and a bigot and all of that. So, I mean, it, it switched so suddenly from one extreme to the other that, I mean, you just kind of blinked your eyes and you woke up and you said, how could, how could this have happened? Yeah. Um, you know, I was speaking uh, just a few years ago. I said, when a culture redefines marriage, I mean, that's God's oldest institution here. We've really gotten to the bottom. Sure. But, but I was wrong. Now right, we've got this yeah. whole transgender issue yeah, where yeah, we can no right. longer define what is a man or what is a woman. Yeah. And now you're attacking the very image of God. Right. But I've never known 
you know, in history where we have not been able to define what is a man or what is a woman, this whole transgender issue. No, that's right. But what's happened is, though, Ray Steadman years ago, an old preacher, wonderful pastor of, of Peninsula Bible Church in Palo Alto, California, in his commentary on Romans, he says, you know, when people lose God, they lose themselves. And he has that statement in his chapter on Romans 1, where you just have the chaos. And people, you know, we, we've lost God as a, as a culture and really in our world today. And so we've lost ourselves. And what you end up then with is just really mass confusion, you know, on, on all kinds of things that before uh, were settled. And uh, part of the problem is, of course, too, is you've we've left the Bible, as our, again, as that plumb line. And we've just kind of launched off into this sea of subjectivity. And so people, you know, even within denominations, and, and certainly churches, but entire denominations now, you know, they don't believe that what the Bible says is true. They'll say, well, that was true, you know, 2,000 years ago, but times have changed, and, uh, you know, we no longer interpret the Bible that way anymore. You know, this was written for an ancient time period, but they're selective in those things that they interpret that way. You know, they would never interpret that stealing's no longer wrong or, uh, you know, committing murder. So they, they just pick a few things that they think are more cultural, and they say, well, those are no longer absolutes with God, you know, those have changed over time. And so again, what we do is we basically substitute our own wisdom, substitute our own knowledge for that of God. And we put ourselves above the Bible rather than underneath the Bible. And that's how we end up where we are basically as a culture today. Yeah. You know, Mark, uh, in that whole gay marriage uh, debate, a bunch of churches came together to stand against that bill redefining marriage. But at the same time, about half the churches here in our state joined together in support of gay marriage. Right. So what you state is correct in your book. You, you state the unfortunate reality today is that the world and the church are often indistinguishable. Right. Yeah. How did that happen? Well, I think, you know, in times past, you know, with the church and with Christians, you know, there was a there was a real persecution against Christians, you know, because they believed something that was very contrary to the world. I think what happens, though, I mean, we're all everyone's like this. Every person wants to be liked by other people and be popular with other people. You know, no one wants to be considered uh, stupid or, or foolish or bigoted or narrow minded. And uh, I think in our culture today, what's happened is um, there's there's a, a lack of uh, of of courage for people to stand up and say, you know what, I think this is wrong. It's easier to just capitulate and kind of go along with the culture. Um, I think just the whole bent of our culture in general has been towards this kind of a of a tolerance and a compromise. And again, there, there you know, there's a good kind of compromise. We all want to be compromisers on on certain things. You know, you don't want to live with somebody that'll never compromise on anything or, or or be tolerant. But when we come to the truth of the Bible and we say, you know, these things really uh, are not you know put in stone. They're not stated by God for all time. That's when you begin to move. Really, I mean, I hate to keep saying this. I kind of sound like I'm repeating myself. You go back to the Garden of Eden, the very first words of Satan's mouth were, has God said? And he put doubt on the scriptures. And really, the main reason, the main way we've ended up where we are, where the church and the world are indistinguishable, is the world has, has believed Satan, or the, the church has believed Satan's lie, that what God said is not really not really true. And so, really, a lot of major denominations, they don't believe that the Bible is a supernatural book. They don't believe it's inspired. They don't believe it's inerrant. When you leave the Bible as your kind of your moorings, then, you know, you're really kind of basically where the world is. Mark, you state that the Christianity is being attacked from the outside by opposing ideologies, you know, atheism and Islam and other worldviews. But 
the more insidious attack you state is coming from within. Tell us about this. Well, Vance Havner was an old Baptist preacher years ago, and he said, you know, the bigger problem is not the woodpeckers on the outside, it's the termites on the inside. And I like that old saying, because what apostasy and false teaching does is it eats away at the inside of the church. And, you know, it's really interesting when you read the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, they're really the last words of Jesus to his church. What he tells several of the churches is, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand out of your out of its place. Now, what you see there is those churches had more to fear in Christ than through than Caesar. You know, Caesar was, didn't come and close the churches. Christ is the one who says, "I'll come and close the churches." So Jesus takes Jesus takes this this apostasy and this false teaching within the church seriously. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you find this broadcast to be of a great value to you, would you please consider partnering with us? Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate and keep us on the air, you may do so right there online on the homepage of our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll see we have a wide variety of resources available to you including Pat's articles, additional audio, and Pat's books. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and of course your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide reasons for faith and hope in Christ right here on Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.